Hello and welcome to this edition of Community Connections. I'm your host, Chuck Curl, and today we're going to be discussing a very serious topic. We're going to try to end distractive driving, and with us from NDD is the president, Joel Feldman. And Joel, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, one thing, Joel, how did you get involved in the organization? How did, how did this all begin? Well, it began in the worst possible way for any parent. In, uh, in July of 2009, my daughter Casey was walking across the street in Ocean City going to her summer job on the boardwalk, and a 58-year-old man was reaching for his GPS, took his eyes off the road, rolled through a stop sign, hit her, ran her over, said that he never saw her. And we got the call to go to the emergency room, and it took about five hours, and then uh, we learned that Casey did not survive surgery, and she had, in fact, been killed by that distracted driver. So uh, we were in, and I'm hoping not too many of your, your viewers have lost a child, but I'm sure some of them have. Um, the worst possible loss you could ever imagine. Not sure how we would go on, and we wanted to do something to remember Casey. She was only 21. Mm -hmm. She hadn't graduated college, hadn't found a career, hadn't married, hadn't had children. So we set up a, a foundation, and uh, the biggest campaign is enddd.org, enddistracteddriving.org. And um, I am an attorney in Center City, and I practice law a little bit. I still practice law a little bit, but I do this pretty nearly full time, and I have done so for the past seven or eight years. Just going around, um, talking to folks at businesses, talking at schools, uh, doing interviews like this, doing whatever I can to raise awareness so this doesn't have to happen to other folks. So it's safe to say you're a man with a mission for sure. Is there something that, um, that you find when you're sharing your experience with people that you're getting some type of uh, connection in, in terms of they're telling you, yes, they're giving you the agreement that this is something that I should definitely be considering? Yeah, I, ha I have to say first, though, that I drove distracted all the time. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, I was an attorney in Center City. I'd, I would be texting a little bit, mostly emailing, which is probably worse. And it, was only, it took me about three months after Casey was killed for me to realize this man was reaching for his GPS. I had held the phone, I had texted, I'd read emails, and I'd never been in a crash, mm -hmm. but I decided I needed to change. So uh, that was the beginning for me. Uh, I no longer drive distracted. I tell people that I'm a recovering distracted driver. I think that's a fair way of putting it. Um, but I am fortunate, I think, well, but for Casey's death, I think I'm very fortunate. I get to talk with folks and I get positive feedback. And I'm optimistic that there are ways we can get people to put their phones down. And I'm hoping that it doesn't have to take a tragedy, which occurred to me, to get people to put their phones down. And there's some innovative ways that I think we're, we're looking into that and we're, we're getting some success. Yeah, I, I heard points that sometimes driving distracted, especially with a cell phone, is uh, it almost equates to being drunk when you're driving because of the control, how much control you lose of the car. Because especially at different mile, at miles per hour that you're driving, the reaction time obviously decreases the faster you mm -hmm. go. Is that something that uh, people bring to your attention as well? Sure, I think what I'd say is, uh, what most people don't know is, uh, I'll just give a real simple formula. At 60 miles an hour, our cars travel 90 feet every second. So if I get a notification, I look down, I pick up the phone, I read it, they say it takes about four seconds. So in the time we look away from the road at 60 miles an hour, we go 360 feet per second. 
So getting back to your question about drunk driving, um, there are, we, this is not an endorsement for drunk driving, right. but drunks will try to look at the road. They'll try to. Now their perception and reaction time, of course, is, is awful, Severe. but they at least are trying to look at the road. So for those times when a distracted driver has his or her hands on the phone and they're looking away from the road, they're actually more dangerous and more likely to cause a risk than the drunk driver. Uh, presumably the drunk driver is drunk the entire length of the trip, so in all likelihood probably a greater risk. But for those of us who will take a chance and we'll look away from the road because we haven't yet been in a crash, what we're doing is very, very dangerous, very dangerous. How many um, people do you get to reach and, and explain and, and tell your story on a daily basis? Uh, obviously it's been 10 years, so I'm sure you've been to a number of different organizations. Uh, are they sort of accepting your word with open arms to come in and share your experience with the students or with employees? Well, I've, they tell me I've done about 750 talks to about 175,000 teens and adults. And it is, you know, of course, it's local here. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in Springfield, Delaware County. My law practice, as I said, is in Philadelphia. But I do travel across the country. I think I've been in 40 states in Canada wow. doing distracted driving talks, whether it's schools, whether it's traffic safety, legal, medical conferences, um, businesses. Uh, and you think about it that, and we were talking before we went on the air, that every business has people who drive mm -hmm. and most of us drive distracted. So some would say, oh, you should talk to trucking companies. You should talk to those. Now, I, I talk to trucking companies, utility companies, pharmaceutical companies, accounting firms, law firms, hospitals, medical practices. We all drive and most of us are driving distracted. So I, I do get opportunities to speak to a lot of people. I, I guess my special talks that I enjoy the most are with kids though, you know, whether it's middle school, high school, or college. Yeah, I'm assuming that dealing with the children, they could share this with their parents. And in doing so, it really plants a seed in the parents' mind that they should not be driving distracted. Uh, yes, um, I'll go into a school and it's not uncommon when, once the kids get comfortable with me, um, I'll ask them, raise your hands if your moms and dads drive distracted. 70 to 80% of the kids raise their hands. So there's something wrong with that. Right. Because if you ask each kid, they'll tell you, oh yeah, my mom tells me not to drive distracted. <laughs> my dad tells me not to drive distracted. Um, so the word hypocrite comes up quite a bit when we do school talks. Um, and what parents should know is that if you drive distracted, your child is between two and four times as likely to also drive distracted. Yeah, and th that makes sense in all, uh, on so many different levels. You're exactly right. Uh, I'm, I'm more curious now, the elderly, when they look at this as well, because you're talking about kids, how about senior citizens? Because technology to them doesn't come as easy as it does for younger kids to. Any of the like seniors uh, approach you and say, I, I'm, I'm afraid this could happen to me as well? The seniors approach me, or I do talks for seniors, and what they're concerned about is, first of all, they're concerned about their adult children, the moms and dads of kids, not paying enough attention to their kids generally because they're so focused on their phones. And I know that there are some uh, people who are recommending for moms and dads that you have specific rooms in your house set up which you will not use a cell phone, your kids won't use a cell phone, and the kids know if they want to talk to you, it's safe to go in there. You think about that, and there's something wrong with that, really. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the other thing is the older folks, 
um, are angry that their grandchildren are being driven by parents who are looking at their phones and they look at it as a risk and a danger. Um, yes, there are some older folks who say I'm not that good with technology, but a lot of the older folks, because they're not that good with technology, don't drive distracted as much. Uh, those over the age of 65 drive distracted a lot less than those between the ages of 19 and let's say uh, 40. Wow, yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. I, I, I would never put that equation down. I, I guess you're just assuming that people have a difficult time dealing with technology, have a better chance of making a mistake, you know? Unfortunately, that's the case. Uh, one question as we go to break, anybody looking for more information um, with your organization, how would they go about doing so? Oh, they could, we're, you know, we can get a hold of us. It's NDD or enddistracteddriving.org. And people could get uh, information from the website or they could fill out a form to request a speaker if they would like that. Joel, you gave us a lot of information on how you got involved in NDD. I'm more curious now to see when you go out and do a uh, program, how do you prepare? And obviously, is there different lectures for different groups? Yeah, there are different. We have a, a number of different presentations. Uh, initially, um, I'd started doing talks at the request of police in, in New Jersey, and I did some locally here. And I felt comfortable doing it. It was difficult telling Casey's story all the time, but I felt that there was a, a good purpose to it, and I wanted to do it. But I realized I didn't know anything about changing people's attitudes or behaviors. I did know that counselors do that, therapists do that. So I went back, I got a master's in counseling from Villanova, and then I worked with Children's Hospital, and they helped us develop science-based presentations. And we'll actually do pre-presentation and post-presentation surveys and measure pretty much what people's attitudes were, what their actual behaviors were, um, how, we, how, if at all, we've changed those as a result of the presentation. So we continually refine them. Um, the high school talks basically are, because I'll speak to kids or even middle school and high school, some are driving, some have just their permits and some haven't yet aren't driving. So we talk about driving behaviors. We talk about the kind of drivers they wanna be if they haven't been a driver, but we also talk about we're all passengers. Will we speak up and keep each other safe? Friends don't let friends drive drunk. They know that, we all know that. We're not there yet with distracted driving. So we actually do a role play with the kids and we teach them the best ways to speak up. A lot of the studies show that teen to teen intervention uh, works really, really well if it's done respectfully. So we teach them about the difference between using an I statement. So I'll give you an example, Chuck, uh, I, I care about you, but I'm scared when you look at your phone when you're driving me. So that's an I statement, I tell you how I feel. I could have said, Chuck, you're gonna kill me. You're mm -hmm. the worst driver I've ever seen, and you would get defensive. Correct. So we teach the kids a, an easy way to speak up, and it, it's very, very effective. We show a mix of, of some sad videos, nothing bloody or gory. Uh, most of the studies show bloody and gory videos don't result in long-lasting behavior change. There's shock value, but it doesn't change those attitudes and behaviors, and that's what we're looking for. So there's a mix of videos. We do other role play things. We do exercises. Uh, we'll ask a lot of questions. Um, I don't think I've been on, in those 750 talks, I don't think I've been on 10 podiums. Uh, I want a wireless mic and I want to go out in the crowd and stick the microphone in a kid's face or your face or somebody's and get a response and, and talk about things. Uh, one of the things that we're doing, let, let's just assume 
you've texted, and it, you were honest with me beforehand. Yes. You said that you, you've texted while you've driven, the way most of us have, Yes. but you've never been in a crash doing it. Right. So for you and your listeners, I don't think it, it makes a lot of sense to tell you it's dangerous or risky because you don't think it is for you. Right. So how can I connect with you on a different basis? So what we'll do is we'll talk about respect. Respect is a core value, whether it's for kids or parents. Practically every high school I go into around the country, they have a banner on the wall, their core values, respect is the top one. Mm -hmm. As moms and dads, we're teaching our kids about respect. Generally, respect is defined as listening to people, valuing them, and the golden rule, the golden rule. All right, so if I have someone and they've admitted to me, and maybe some of you folks who are, who are watching this, that you have texted, but you feel that you're a respectful person and you want others to think that you are respectful, I ask this, imagine you're driving down the road, maybe you have a passenger, you have people on the side of the road, other cars, you take your eyes off the road purposefully to look at your phone, to look at a text. How does that demonstrate your respect for others? And most people will look at me and say, well, it really doesn't. And so psychologists say that hopefully I've created what's called cognitive dissonance. Your statements, I am a respectful person, I want to be a respectful person, are inconsistent with your behaviors and you have admitted it. You've come to that decision yourself. I haven't lectured you about it. I haven't told you what to do. And that creates some discomfort. And we hope that that'll be resolved by saying, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I want to be that respectful person. I'm gonna put my phone down. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things we're doing. Um, probably most every person who's listening to this uh, gets annoyed when they see other people driving distracted. Oh, yeah. We see it every time, we complain. My wife told me that I taught my kids uh, the words idiot and moron because I would be using that all the time to yell at other people. <laughs> Yet I'd be driving distracted myself. I mean, it's look in the mirror over that one, right? right, right. All of us need to. So. Um, we have this fear, and actually the studies show most people today are more afraid of being in a crash caused by a distracted driver than a drunk driver. So how can we capitalize, if you will, on that fear? Well, if you wanna be a defensive driver, if you wanna protect yourselves from other people, you have to do a number of things. You have to get the big picture, you have to leave yourself an out, you have to continually scan, you have to make sure you're seen. You can't do that if you're looking at your smartphone. So. Defensive driving is inconsistent with distracted driving, and I would just suggest for all of us who are nervous about the other people on the road, even if we haven't been in a crash, that we think about it, we have to pay more attention today than ever because there's so many distracted drivers on the road. So the bottom line is actions do speak louder than words and what you're saying, there's no doubt. Absolutely. And, and you brought a good point because I've, as you know, I'm on the road a lot. I've talked to you earlier about this. I've seen so many cars swerving for no reason at all, and you don't realize, I wonder what happened there. Well, they probably glanced at their phone, lost, I guess, the adaptability of to get back in the lane, and the car moves right to left. So uh, we see it on a daily basis. And I'm not one to yell and scream. I can tell you I rarely ever use my horn because obviously I look at it as, I don't take it personally that they're doing it directly at me, but that's the psychology behind it and uh, because I see it on a daily basis. Yeah, so when you talk about respect, um, I was in um, Arkansas last week doing talks, school talks in Little Rock, and the week before I was in Texas, 
And when you talk about respect, kids get it, mm -hmm. adults get it. And then a couple of kids said to me afterwards, you know, my mom and dad teach me I need to be respectful of others. I need to res be respectful of others. And they've never told me I should only exercise that respect when it's convenient for me. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what we do? It's not convenient when we get behind the wheel of a car to respect others. And there's not that personal contact. So we, our respect for others, we just throw it right out the window when we get behind the wheel of a car. We need people to be respectful. Today, I'm a respectful driver. I never was. I feel good after I get someplace because I've done my best to keep me safe and everybody I've shared the road with, and it's a good feeling. I feel good being that respectful person. Uh, today, I'm also a safe driver. If you'd asked me before Casey was killed, was I a safe driver or a lucky driver? I would have told you I was a safe driver, but I was a lucky driver. I only became a safe driver and a respectful driver after my daughter Casey was killed by a distracted driver. Yeah, and, and you could see that hits home. I'm thinking of the distracted driver who actually does kill someone. What do you think goes through their mind? I'm not sure if you still have a communication, but that person has to live with that for the rest of their life, and that is a sentence in itself. It is. Now, I haven't had any direct communication with the man who killed Casey, but through the years, courts will come to me because if someone kills someone while driving distracted, they may get jail time. Uh, more often than not, they do now, but they always get community service hours. So I've had maybe 15 or so people who've killed while driving distracted work with our organization, do community service hours, which essentially translates into maybe doing a PSA, a public service announcement, but going into a school or business and telling their story. And yeah, I, I, you don't want to be on any side of this awful Correct. tragedy, my side or their side. And I don't drive distracted anymore because my daughter was killed by a distracted driver. The person who killed while driving distracted, they don't drive distracted anymore. What's, what's it going to take for all of us, all of us in between? Must it take a tragedy for us all to stop driving distracted? Point well taken. Joel, you gave us good insight on some of your presentations with youth and in the school systems. How about businesses? Is there a difference between how you present the presentation in a business or an adult setting compared to uh, a, a children's setting? Yeah, there is. In the um, school talks, as I said, I'll ask the, the kids to raise their hands if mom or dad drive distracted. In the business talks, I'll say, all parents raise your hands. Keep your hands up if you would do anything to keep your children safe. Of course, all the hands stay up. Some are raising both hands up because that's what we do as parents. That's mm -hmm. our most important thing. And then I say, okay, only keep your hands up if you haven't driven distracted with your kids in the car. And the look that comes over their faces, and if they're being honest, all the hands will come down. Mm -hmm. Those people are now in a position where I can work with them. Again, cognitive dissonance. I would do anything to keep my children safe, yet I drive distracted with my kids in the car. There's something really inconsistent about that. And I was there too. I drove distracted with Casey and her little brother, Brett, my son, in the car all the time. And I look back at it and I say, my God, what was I thinking? Exposing my kids to a risk, but also letting them know that it's okay to drive distracted because dad does it. So parents are telling their kids all the time, don't drive distracted, don't drive distracted, yet we're driving distracted. So we hear hypocrite all the time as I talked about that, but from a parent's perspective, this is a critical safety message. Critical safety message. 
Um, three times as many teens are in car crashes caused by distracted driving than any other age group. Mm -hmm. Distraction and inexperience is a terrible, terrible combination. So we're telling our kids not to drive distracted, but we're showing them that it's okay because we do it. So that's a critical safety message tainted with hypocrisy. How effective do we think that's really gonna be? Right. So that's a, a big difference. Um, I'll talk a little bit more in the parent talks, I'll talk about cognitive distractions. Kids are holding their phones. They're not Bluetooth. They generally don't have the fancy cars where you can voice text and all those things. They have the you know the hand be down cars that right. kind of thing. Yes. So, but with adults, I, I you know I would rather if I could wave my magic wand and. All anyone would do on the phone would be have a hands-free Bluetooth conversation and they wouldn't hold the phone and text or, or watch videos. I'd take it in a second. But hands-free is not risk-free. Uh, one of the better examples of this is if you've ever been hands-free Bluetooth and talking while driving and you get someplace and you say to yourself, whoa, how did I get here? I don't remember the trip. Neurocognitive psychologists will say, you got there safely, but your brain wasn't entirely devoted to driving. Other studies show that when we're not using the, the smartphone hands-free, we're scanning the road fully. Mm -hmm. Put those same people, and they've done this in tests, on a hands-free device, and instead of scanning the road, they lock in. It's called tunnel vision. We don't scan. And those are things that have implications for driving. So that's a, one of the major differences. Kids don't really talk hands-free. They don't really have phone calls anymore, as a lot of parents know. Right. Probably grandparents know. Grand, a lot of grandparents have had to learn how to text because they want to stay in touch with their grandchildren. All right, so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, we were asked, at what age could you start teaching kids about distracted driving? So we've done a, a number of middle school talks and then some of the folks that I work with around the country, some advocates said, why can't we do it earlier? We teach little kids about fire safety. We teach little kids about seat belts. We teach little kids about bullying. So working with a, a bunch of people, educators, um, child psychologists, other experts, we've come up with elementary school lesson plans. We're actually gonna be piloting those in January of 2020 and hoping throughout 2020 to release those. It's gonna be free of charge. Elementary school lesson plans. We're gonna teach the kids what it means to be distracted, generally. We're gonna teach them about multitasking. And the, the, the science says there's only 2% of us whose brains can really think about two things at the same time. The rest of us, clearly me, I'm not a super multitasker. We change our attention. We switch to the hands-free phone call, the scrolling through music hands-free phone call, texting, and so forth. And each individual task suffers when we do that. So we teach them about multitasking, and we're also gonna teach them how to recognize distracted driving, what it is, and teach them to speak up. How do you impact a mom or dad? Well, we focus this mm -hmm. with about 80 different moms and dads over three or four focus groups. Hands down, this was the language that's gonna be the most effective. Mommy, Daddy, I love you, but I don't feel safe when you look at your phone when you drive me. In our focus groups, we had moms tearing up, yeah. just sitting in the focus group. That will group. hit home. Oh yeah, it, it would hit home. It mm -hmm. would really hit home. So we, we had to create, they told us we had to create a cartoon character, an animation. So part of it's animated. We have a meerkat named Sam. Sam are the initials for, um, 
see something, address the problem using an I statement, make an action plan together. So that's the name of the meerkat. Meerkats are inquisitive. They're always looking around, uh, that sort of thing. Okay. So he's teaching the kids how to do that. And it's a what they call a child to parent intervention in the car. And we actually have some help from NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. They're going to be evaluating the effectiveness of it uh, in some schools up in the Boston area in, in January. So we can make certain that we've got what we need to do. And what we're hoping to do is create a new generation of kids who just like drunk driving will say, well, we don't do that. We don't do that. A new generation of kids long before they get their license to say, we don't do that. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing for, for sure. Now, when we switch to uh, businesses, and that was the one thing I was more curious about, the kids, are they still incorporated with your presentation? Uh, yeah, we, well, when we, we talk with businesses, it's, most businesses, it's moms and dads. Right. I mean, there's some, there's some companies I go to where maybe it's a third or not yet moms and dads, but they have little brothers and sisters. So we do talk about little, we do talk about little kids being a role model. Like I'll do evening talks at schools. Like sometimes the schools will have me come in and talk to ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade and through the PTA come in in the evening, uh, you know, and we get the parents to come in. And when they come into the talk, they run up to me at the beginning and say, what are the magic words? What can I tell my kid, you know, so they don't drive distracted? And I look at them and I say, the most important thing is to be the driver you want your teen to be, be that role model. Yeah. And that's, I, I could stop talking, at the, but I do talk more, but that's the most important message. It's like a double-edged sword, though. I'm thinking about it because, you know, parents, they want to keep track of their children, so they provide them with a smartphone. But when they have the smartphone and they're driving, it's very difficult to say, well, I don't want it on while you're in the car. I want you to have it because I can keep track of where you're at. Mm -hmm. So it really must it, make it difficult. It's a really good point you bring up because we talk to the kids. You don't want your, you don't want to be texting mom and dad when you're driving. Send a group message out to your mom and dad saying, I'm leaving school. Uh, I'll, when I get someplace, I'll text you. A lot of families have an app that's called Life 360. I can now look at this, my app, and my son lives in Colorado. Before I text him, I can see if he's moving. I can see where he is. I can see where my wife is. Some people think it's a little creepy, but it's, you know, it's just, it's find your iPhone. It's the right. same thing. And then if you have an iPhone or even the Android system, you can go right to settings and set do not disturb while driving. When I leave here and drive back to my home in Springfield, if you try to text me or anything, it's blocked. I don't get the notification you'll get an automatic response saying, hi, this is Joel, I'm driving, it's not safe to respond. When I stop, I'll get back to you. Keeps you safe, lets other people know what you're doing and spreads the message of safe driving. But we don't want moms and dads calling or texting their kids when they're driving to see if they're safe. I mean, it's, it's counterintuitive. Final question, anyone looking for more information, how would they go about doing so? Uh, they can go to our website, enddd.org or enddistracteddriving.org. Uh, we have brochures, we have uh, banners, we have wristbands, and you could schedule a talk. And we have uh, speakers. Oh, I'm the speaker locally mm -hmm. here. But I was going to say we have speakers across the country. But if I can fit it in, I'd be happy to do a talk. Well, Joel, we'd like to thank you for being our guest here today on Community Connections. Thank you, Chuck, for having me. Joel Feldman, he is the president of NDD. From all of us here at UMGA Television, I'm Chuck Curlin. Thank you for watching.